Hi, this is Michael Bloodgood, and you're listening to Wild Man and Steve. You are about to listen to the intersection of faith, talk, and music. The Wild Man and Steve show starts right now. Welcome everybody once again. Um, this is the Wild Man and Steve Show. Uh, however, this is our segment of Upon This Rock, Season Two, Episode One, if you will. And Steve, I have a question for you before we introduce yeah. and talk about what our plan is here. So yeah. we started this off, started off as the classic Christian rock podcast, moved into uh, the Wild Man and Steve Show, and from then we have had. Our main thrust is that we interview artists. Then we have Metal Talk, where we play music and review music. And we have Up on This Rock, where we study the Bible, theology, so forth. Is, is uh, uh, Metal Talk and Up on This Rock, are they spinoffs? You know, just as Laverne and Shirley yes. and Morgan Mindy there uh, were spinoffs of Happy Days. Yes. So yeah. Upon This Rock and Metal Talk uh, are spinoffs of The Wild Man and Steve Show. And, um, you know, all I got to say to you, Wild Man, is we're going to do it. <laughs> <laughs> yes, absolutely. We are going to do it. And I'm, I'm glad you you didn't go down the road of, uh, uh, I think, Joni Loves Chachi. I'm glad you didn't mention that one. <laughs> I thought of it and I deliberately didn't. <laughs> I deliberately did. I'm glad you stuck with the ones who had some success in comparison <laughs> to Happy Days. But hey, we don't want to talk about that because we're disclosing our era and our age and so forth. Anyway, ladies and gentlemen, we are going to introduce the permanent guest we have for this season of Upon This Rock is Father Chris, um, uh, Orthodox Anglican priest and frontman heavy metal artist for the band Cool Hip Priest. We want to welcome him in. And uh, Father Chris, welcome to this. And we know you're kicking yourself for saying you, yes, you'd be a part of this thing by now. But welcome anyway. I, I can't believe you guys wanted to have me back. I, I thought for sure after the last one, I'd be like, get that guy out of here. Let's. I kept seeing Wild Man doing like the cutoff thing at the neck. I kept thinking, you know, it's like the gong show. Remember the gong show? You want to talk about it? Remember the cane? Yeah. I kept waiting for the cane to come. And right. Right. Well, you, you know, the, the, the funny thing is, is, you know, Steve and I didn't break this to you, but, you know, our denomination um, kind of assigned us to you um, as an assignment. So that's what this is. Um, we're, we're here to fix you. Is <laughs> I, I wish. I wish the Lord be with you both in your help. I need help, and uh, I welcome whatever help the two of you can give me, although I'm slightly afraid deep inside. Yes. Uh, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, if you didn't see that, 
as you're listening to this, uh, we did we did just see Father Chris, the Anglican Orthodox priest, roll his eyes. I believe. I think that's I believe, what I saw. I believe, yes. Yes. Roll but, his eyes. Yes. But okay. you know, he, he's a man of God, so it was really holy rolling. <laughs> uh, you know, this is turning into the theological stand-up hour. Uh, oh. Just give a quick shout out. You know, we were so grateful the last season we did upon this rock. Uh, we had Jimmy Bennett. Yes. Uh, lead singer from King James. And uh, the focus of that season, if you will, uh, we uh, worked through uh, a book of the Bible and just said it was just three guys uh, reading the a particular book of the Bible chapter at a time. And uh, we kind of saw where the conversation went. And so we're so grateful to Jimmy for that. Uh, we're excited about the second season. And, uh, you know, we're looking to do a little theological deep dive uh, in this. Not that we didn't tease some theological things out of our reading of the Bible, but we also were looking at uh, other applications of Scripture as well. Uh, but with this, we kind of want to do a little deep dive into some theology. So I think there's going to be a, a great series. I think folks are going to really enjoy this um, as we go a little bit deeper into some stuff. Yes, very good. And before we continue, if all of our listeners right now, right now, would go to wildmanandsteve.com and leave us a review for this episode before we get any further, <laughs> right now, <laughs> before we do any more damage, please give us a five-star review. Uh, but no, yeah, Steve is exactly right. We, we're grateful for Jimmy Bennett's um, uh, last year and uh, studying God's word together and having the word open up. And so this time around, as we've, as we've um, welcomed Father Chris to join us for this season, one of the things, wow, if this was a pun I was not expecting, <laughs> one of the things we kind of have in common... <laughs> <laughs> um, is the Book of Common Prayer originated by Thomas Cramner. Um, and now I'm familiar with it because I studied it as in my ministerial training. Um, however, the denomination I've been a part of, both denominations I've been a part of, didn't use it consistently. Um, and uh, I, I know, Steve, you mentioned that you're familiar with it because you were part of a church. Go, go ahead and, and mention your familiarity. Yeah, you know, I, I we maybe talked before. I, I grew up in the independent Christian church uh, as a boy. Uh, my wife uh, grew up in the Nazarene church. So, you know, liturgy, um, that, that was not part of our tradition at all, uh, kind of high liturgical stuff. Certainly preaching, you know, from a lectionary, that, that was not part of our experience. Uh, and then we were living in Texas, Austin, Texas, at this point, yeah, close to 25 years ago. And uh, we were at a church that was a little more liturgical, and that's where I became aware of the Book of Common Prayer. Um, it was not an Anglican church, but uh, became aware of it. Uh, went out and bought a copy and then found myself using uh, the Book of Common Prayer as part of my own devotional life and, uh, and enjoyed that. I'm sure something we'll talk about uh, over the course of some of these episodes uh, is, you know, what, what is the role, uh, the benefit? of more structured prayer, uh, more structured worship time, more structured devotional time, uh, especially for those listeners and, and people who do not come from such a tradition. Uh, certainly you know, in the evangelical world, we think about that, um, or at least we think we don't come from a, such a structured, in fact, there actually, of course, is a lot of structured. A lot of times people don't realize that, but, um, you know, people think, well, you know, Anglican, uh, Catholic, uh, Orthodox, 
you know, those are the ones that have all that kind of stuff. And, you know, I'm just a plain Christian. Well, what, what is the benefit for just the plain Christian? Um, in some of the more structured um, prayers, liturgies, and so forth. So I'm sure we'll, we'll dive into some of that. Yeah, a, 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 absolutely. And Father Chris, this is where we throw it to you, because of the three of us, um, you are the most knowledgeable, um, most expertish. Um, <laughs> um, yes, uh, obviously, because this is something you deal with all the time, because as a priest, you are always using, utilizing the Book of Common Prayer, um, where Steve and I will go to it from time to time. Um, or there was a season where I did do all the scripture readings personally in a devotional daily, um, just for my own personal self. But you have the background in it. So can you help us understand and our listeners understand what, how would you, what would you say the benefit of following the Book of Common Prayer has been for you and for your church? I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw in one thing before you do that, though, Father Chris. Could you just say a little bit of word about the tradition that you are in right now and, and kind of what that means uh, to folks who may not be familiar with your tradition? And then go ahead and, and talk about the Book of Common Prayer. Well, uh First, I got to say, you know, your last season, uh, what you did, your, are your ratings diving to the point that you needed to get me involved this season? You want me to follow up your last guest? Thanks, guys. Uh, appreciate that. And then, throw, and then throw, you know, explain the history of liturgy. Uh, I love you guys. <laughs> this is this is your test right now. This is your first. This is your trial episode. <laughs> well, uh, okay. All right. Well, you know, <laughs> the pilot. I, I hope this isn't one of those uh, spinoffs where it's one pilot and done. <laughs> Well, I, let, let's start with, let's start with, I'll start with the background. So a lot of people ask me, what, what, what is this? You know, what, what, what is an Anglican? Well, an Anglican is basically a Celtic Catholic. A lot of people uh, don't know the history of the church. And so not knowing the history of the church, when they run into things like Roman Catholic, everybody knows that one. Uh, uh, run into, a lot of people know about Greek Orthodoxy uh, or uh, Eastern Orthodoxy, or even if you're re really astute, Coptic Orthodoxy. Mm. People have run into that maybe even there. Anglicans, what, what are Anglicans? Well, they're Celtic Catholics. Um, maybe one of the most famous Celtic Catholics in the world is a fellow that you may have heard of uh, called St. Patrick. Uh, St. Patrick believe it or not, was not a Roman Catholic. St. Patrick was a part of the Celtic Catholic Church. In other words, when Rome finally came to the British Isles, they discovered a church already in existence. They discovered a faith. They discovered the Orthodox Christian faith being taught and evangelized, people being converted. And believe it or not, when you, when you do a deep dive back into the history, especially when we get to uh, the Council of Nicaea, uh, Celtic bishops were at the Council of Nicaea. So 
that's kind of, it, it traditionally is taught that Joseph of Arimathea brought the gospel to the British Isles, and the Celtic Catholic Church was born. And so it existed. I think people are, are, are familiar with eventually the Roman Church consumed it until Henry VIII. And so you get Henry VIII, and I think everybody knows that story. Henry VIII wanted a, a divorce, and the Pope wouldn't give it to him. And so uh, he said, well, I'll take my toys and go home then. And, and, and so, but for most people, they think what he did was start another church. Actually, what Henry VIII really did was he restored the Celtic Catholic Church to its autocephalous nature. Now, that's a big word, means independent. Uh, he restored it to its independent nature. It existed before. It was, a, it was, a, it was kind of uh, consumed by Rome. And what he did was he took it back away and restored it to autocephalacy or, or independency, self-autonomy, if you will. And so it is the church of the English-speaking people. And so over time, that continues down until you get to the American Revolution. And then, of course, after the revolution takes place, the Episcopal Church is born because we're Americans now. And so the Episcopal Church is born, which is actually the Anglican Church in America, and continued until that particular group made some canonical and doctrinal decisions that were contrary to the canons of its formation and to Christian orthodoxy. At that point, many Anglicans departed from that group to regain their ancient orthodox identity in the canons of the church, believing the creeds, believing the, count, the seven councils, believing in the scriptures, believing in being saved, sanctified, filled with the spirit. Uh, and, 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 and that is where the orthodox Anglican tradition comes in, orthodox in the sense of original teaching, orthodox in the sense of the way it was. And so that's how you could tell uh, the Anglican tradition apart. Any, any group of Anglicans that uses the term orthodox tradition uh, they are referring to a Bible-based, God-fearing uh, type of, of movement. That's where I come in. That is, a, I, I belong to one such a communion. Can I say that? One such a communion. And so in that is kind of the history of Anglicanism. Anglicanism and, and what I, I'll call convergence is a wonderful crossroads of the great traditions of Mother Church. The classic liturgical river, you know, think of it this way, a river with three currents, right? Uh, you have the classical liturgical current of the church, you have the evangelical current of the church, and you have the charismatic current of the church. And what convergence does is it is the fullness of the three currents in the sense of, you remember when you were in uh, seminary, Brother Wildman, uh, you remember that uh, when, they, when they would teach you that Jesus was not half God and half man. He was 100% God and 100% man. So for me as a convergent Orthodox Anglican, I am 100% liturgical, 
100% evangelical and 100% charismatic uh, all in one. So we, we like to call that fullness. We walk in fullness of Great Mother Church. And that's where we introduce the Book of Common Prayer, because it has been with us from the beginning. In fact, all ancient historical lines of the church have had some form of prayer book, i.e. a missal or uh, the, uh, the works of St. John Chrysostom or the liturgy of St. Basil. Uh, for us, Thomas Cramner borrows from the great traditions of the faith and gives us the Book of Common Prayer. Now, I'll say this, and I'm going to throw it back to you for questions. Uh, the Book of Common Prayer is basically, think of it this way. It is the Bible set to prayer. Mm. That's a, the, exactly the way he designed it. Mm. It is Scripture set to the rhythms of prayer on the, the annual calendar, on the weekly calendar, and on the daily calendar. So it is the Bible set to the rhythms of prayer. It is liturgy. And I would say this, liturgy, the definition of liturgy is the work of the people. Mm -hmm. It's the work of the people. So when you come to a church, not just our tradition, but when you come to a church that's using liturgy, you're going to work. You're going to do something. You're going to, you're going to get involved. You're going to participate. Uh, you know, it's not like coming to a cool hit pre-show where you buy your ticket and your popcorn and you hang out and, and I play all the music and sweat and make Donnie tell jokes and, and entertain you. It, it's not like that. When you come to a liturgical church, there is an expectation of the work of the people. And that's what the, com the Book of Common Prayer is to an Anglican. It is the liturgy of the Celtic Catholic Church. How is that? Well, listen, that was that was beautiful. That was a seminar in however many minutes that lasted. And, and anybody who's listening to this, quite frankly, friends, you need to bookmark this, save it, and just go back over that piece and share that with some friends, uh, anybody who's, who's got those kind of questions. And, you know, I, I want to ask this uh, for, for, for both of you guys. When I listen to that, I'm thinking, well, of course. And... I think it was John Henry Cardinal Newman who made the comment, you can't be deep in history and may remain long a Protestant. Now, of course, he was ultimately saying, you know, you, you, you would become Catholic, right? You would, you would swim the Tiber, you'd go home to Rome, and you, you'd become Catholic. Uh, but even in what you're saying there, I, I, I just feel that there's such a, an amnesia in terms of really – 19th century and 20th century and now into the 21st century uh christians and and we've even used this phrase i think wild man it's as if people think you jump straight from acts 2 to your current church and nothing happened in between there and and that just seems nuts to me and so people say oh well you know liturgy you know that just stifles stifles the spirit stifles my you know, just whatever, me and God, whatever, whatever we're doing, you know. 
Uh, and it's just nonsense because it's been a part of the church, the body of Christ, right from the beginning. We see creedal formations in the New Testament uh, and so forth. So why do you think that is, in the, especially in the United States, where, and we're talking really here, uh, why do you think there is such pushback from so many people uh, and so many other Christian churches against what really is and they should recognize as their historic expressions of the faith. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, <clears throat> I mean, my thoughts, Steve, uh, would be, uh, uh, I think that authenticity is something that people search for. And, and to give a quick example, um, I have um, in, in my church that I'm currently pastoring, um, that I inherited this. I didn't build a church. I, I followed the founding pastor. And when I stepped in, there were quite a few uh, former Catholics in the church. The reasons that they would give of why they left is because they were looking for something real. They were looking for something of a relationship with Christ. Now, since then, as you know, Steve, I have talked to and became very good friends with a Catholic teacher who helped me understand that that isn't the case for every Catholic church, you know, and I think that there's pluses and minuses to what we're talking about, and I think it all comes down to the heart of the particular church you're speaking of, because you can do liturgical process cold, empty, however, um, without Christ involved. I mean, sure. anybody could. I mean, Satan quotes scripture. You know, that's well, not, Satan, an, you know. Yeah, and G- Jesus says in Matthew, right? I mean, these people honor me, but but their hearts are far from me. They honor me with their lips and their hearts yeah. are far from me. Yeah. So so that that's absolutely right. But then, and, and as you know, obviously, you, you've experienced this in churches that you've pastored and other Christians you've been around. Uh, you can also have just as much shallow unbelief in the most fervent hand-raising, seemingly spirit-led uh, sort of worship. And, and, and yeah. you, you, yeah. you know, you're just doing it because that's what everybody else is doing, and you really don't have it in your heart either. Yeah, but, but, I, but I will say this, and we'll throw it back to Father Chris here, but I will say that, especially lately in my own personal life, I'd say over the last five to ten years, I have noticed a desire for understanding of more of a liturgical way of looking at things instead of just dismissing it. And perfect illustration, I just had a discussion this past week with an Amish minister. And we are talking, we're talking full-blown Amish. We're not talking modern. He actually had us out at his home. It was an incredible experience. Every stereotype I ever had about them is gone now because of my discussion with him. And when I began to realize that a lot from, from looking from the outside in, there was a lot of stereotypes I was taught, a lot of things I understood. Ah, they're hypocrites because they do this or they do this. So I, he said, ask me anything. So I did. I asked him anything I could, everything. And he answered everything. And I don't agree with everything he said, but at least I was able to understand there was sincerity behind what he was doing behind what they do and behind their beliefs and their system and and why do they do this but not that. So I say that to say that um, I, I, I personally am looking for, after all these years, I'm looking for more of a 
historical structure, if you will, that the church has been based upon. And I'm wondering if that's something we're seeing in the evangelical church, if we're starting to see a desire back to that. And maybe we're on the verge of a movement of that coming back around. What do you think, Father Chris? I think so, actually. I think I think that's exactly what's happened, is uh, folks have run the, the whole course of the just me and God. Hmm. People have run the course to my own personal interpretation of things and are beginning to say, Am I, is, is, it, is, is, it, just, is it just me? For, I'll, I'll give you an example. When, when someone asks me uh, about uh, a topic, uh, let's say uh, any kind of topic, what a lot of Christian pastors are able to do is say, well, this is what I believe. And then that Christian says to them, well, that's your opinion. And then that pastor says, yes, it is because I believe that's the way I'm reading it in the Bible. And then that person says, well, that's your opinion. Uh, someone with a deeper uh, root in the history says, this is, here, here's the answer. Well, that's your opinion. Well, no, it's actually not my opinion. Uh, it is a statement that has been believed and proved with Scripture. It has been believed and proved with works like the, 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 the Book of Common Prayer, works like the, the, um, uh, the other prayer books that are in circulation from other traditions, missals and, and so forth. It is also in the Didache. It is also in the, uh, the creeds. It is also in the seven unified councils of the Holy Catholic and Apostolic Church before one division ever took place. This is what was taught by the apostles themselves. It is not my opinion. Now, in basketball language, you would call that a deep bench, right? Am I right, Am I right Steve? That's a deep bench. Uh, well, it is a deep bench. Yeah. And, and, you know, the fact that you mentioned basketball, it, it, I've used this exact illustration with people before. Baseball, basketball, football, you name it. There's a set of rules and you understand how this particular game is played. I can't walk out on a basketball court in my golf cleats carrying a five iron and a volleyball and say, I'm here to play basketball. And people are going to say, well, what are, you, what are you talking about? What's all that stuff? I said, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because when, when I hit the volleyball up in the air and I swing my five iron and then I do a flip, I get 17 and a half points every time. And that's how I score. People are what are you talking about? That's not basketball. Because there is a set understanding of the rules of basketball. And I, I really feel that we've done something as ludicrous as that example that I just threw out there, where people are like, well, I I, I believe this and I'm going to call it Christian. Yeah. You don't get to do that. Yeah. Sorry. I, you, you don't, you don't get to do that. You've got 2000 years of, of the, the body of Christ. And that's what, again, I think, you know, there's something in the United States where such rugged individualists and in many ways, that's a good thing. Uh, you know, that entrepreneurial spirit, that exploratory spirit, but not when it comes to this. 
Yeah. Not when it comes to this. Yeah, I, I think I would just just as this discussion is developing. This is what I like about these kind of discussions because this is not something that we scripted. I mean, this is just we're just bouncing all of this off of each other and trying to learn from each other, which I think is exciting. Uh, but the idea of when you mentioned opinion, Father Chris and, and Steve, both of you talking about that, um, I've had it happen as a pastor uh, several times where I have stated a truth from Scripture, a, a basic fundamental truth, and somebody has responded later on and said, well, I know you think, and they quote that truth. However, I think, and we're not, and a lot of times we're not even talking about an unchurched person or a new believer, someone who's been around for, and I think that this problem, let me throw this to, to both of you here. Um, one of the biggest issues that I've had uh, since uh, from being in ministry now, uh, coming up to 25 years now, um, when I first started, I was expecting at least a group of people to be on the same page, okay? But I stepped into it naively, and in our circles, at least, that's not the case. And that, and it's very common that you, you go through the practice, you know, the, the pastor has to earn his respect. Um, he has to earn this uh, before they trust him, like they, they trusted the other pastor. And, and there's truth in all that. But do you, do, do you think what we're talking about here, this opinion, my opinion, all of that, has something to do with why the authority of the church and the authority of the minister, at least in the evangelical circles, is not respected? I would go, I would go as far as to say not respected, period, that basically it's, a, it's up to the churchgoer to decide whether or not this man is right instead of the word of God. It always comes down every time. It always comes down to the word authority. Who has the authority mm. to mm. say that something is what it is? Right. Who has that authority? Mm. Where does that authority come from? And that's where you, 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 you'll ask the question. And that's where the term unorthodox comes from. Using that very term unorthodox is a deviation it is an addition or an appendage it's a change by someone to what is orthodox and so that very topic where does the authority come from well the authority comes from jesus hmm. jesus selected 12 he gave his authority to 12 yes they had 70. Don't forget the 70. A lot of people forget that it wasn't just the, the 12. That's, you know, there's, there's three rings. Jesus has three guys that he takes one-on-one. -on -one. He has all 12 in a larger ring. And then he's got another 70 out there in another ring. All of this is passed down in the same way he feeds the people with the fishes and loaves. He sits them down in certain groups and groupings of numbers, giving each apostle charge over a certain group of numbers of people. If you haven't seen that, take another look at it. What he's doing, all of that is like the structure. It's very reminiscent of the structure that Moses takes when he's visited by his uh, father-in-law Jethro. Mm -hmm. And, and there, there's how it develops. So 
where does the authority to say what something is come comes from? And if it's just me, you can debate me. And, and if I'm just the guy, you can say, well, I, I don't think I like what you're saying. So I'll go down here or I'll, which is, uh, can I get an amen? That's what happened. Absolutely. Amen. Amen. But what if there is one central authority Mm -hmm. that connects all of those who believe the word of God, who believe the teaching? What if that authority is not only liturgical, but what if that authority is also in the hierarchies that come down? Right. For, for right. instance, uh, in the Anglican Church, we are governed by what's called an episcopacy. Now, that's a $30 word that I don't throw around very often, but the episcopacy means that we are governed by bishops, bishops who are ordained in apostolic succession. Now, what's that's, a, that's another $50 term for you. Uh, that roots of which are publicly traceable Mm. to the original 12. For instance, uh, any bishop can take what is called their apostolic succession and show you every previous bishop that ordained up until it touches one of the 12, which touches Jesus. And what if liturgy is used by that episcopacy to ensure the correct interpretation of these scriptures and the correct interpretation of the Bible so that we were never meant to be one person in a room with just my opinion. And if you don't like it, you can go across the street or downtown, or you can start your own. You can get on the internet and you by tomorrow morning, you can be an ordained minister and start your own. Yeah. What if liturgy through the episcopacy connects that authority? That's a question. I think there's, you, you've got to have something like that, because if you just you, if you don't, if you start thinking about it logically, it all falls apart. The whole the whole thing falls apart if you don't have something like that. But don't you guys think? that there's probably at least that I'm thinking of two distinct forces that have worked against that. One being the, in the modern world, and I'm taking really from, you know, from the really from the translation of the Bible into any of the uh, non-Latin languages that, that modernity from that point onward, there's been this incredibly individualistic shift and focus. And you get, you look at the United States par excellence, right? We are born in rebellion. We're born in revolution. And that is just hardwired into the DNA. And then of course, you know, French revolution and and, and so forth. And and, and that throughout the world then has spread. So I think I see it there, a threat to what you're saying, Father Chris, I see that written there. And then and this is what I think a lot of people would come back to if you just ask them on the street why they don't go with it. 
people who may have been in apostolic succession or whatever, who have abused the privilege. And people say, well, so what about your fancy apostolic succession? This guy over here did X, Y, and Z that was so wrong. And I don't want a piece of that. So to me, I see there's two very strong things. One of them certainly of Satan, uh, you know, anybody in authority who's abusing the position and, and, and the ripple effect from that. The other, well, there's certainly some good with the individualistic and the freedom and so forth, but there's been some negative consequences of that too. I think you put both of those together and you've got people who say, I don't, I don't want your authority. I don't want it, quite frankly, from my governor. I don't want it from my mayor. I don't want it from the people that I voted into office. And I certainly don't want it from you down at the local church. Mm-hmm. So the yeah. question then, I guess I would have is once someone has come to taste really of the goodness and the richness of the history and the heritage and, 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 and all of that, how do you then go about helping other people to see that and to, to say, hey, guys, this is not something about controlling you. This is not about anything that's going to squelch your relationship with God. If anything, it's going to make it even more on fire. How, how do you help them to see that? Is that a question for me or wild man? It's a question for anybody who wants to answer that. I, 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 wild man wanted this question. I could see it. <laughs> no 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 i was zoning off because you know sometimes steve just rambles so i didn't even know what he was what did you say steve oh sorry i'm just joking no <laughs> okay ladies and gentlemen those of you who could not see it steve just mouthed words because he didn't want to say them he didn't want anybody to hear the words he was saying um but yeah well, now you make me sound dirty <laughs> i just say something naughty well Hey, speak for yourself, sir. We have the priest here. If you need to say something, go right ahead. That's unbelievable. <laughs> but no, I, I think I think Father Chris has the answer for that because of, of the three of us, he's the one who's accomplished that. So well, take it away. Well, I, I, I would just say this. As many people have been hurt in an independent, self-governed community church, as they have in any of the other forms of Christianity, uh, whether, whether uh, you know, it's because of something that we don't talk about very often, and that is the fact that we are sinners by nature, and, and sometimes sin will creep in, and good people will fall, and they will fall very hard, and when they do, people get hurt, and uh, I'll plug uh, in the Book of Common Prayer, we have a liturgy for that. Uh, but pain, pain is real. People get hurt. And when people get hurt, that's the tendency is to not open yourself up again to get hurt. That's what we call that building walls. Uh, and people build those defensive mechanisms because they've been hurt somewhere. Now, I would encourage people First of all, what I do, and to any of your listeners listening right now, can I speak to your listeners for just a second? If you're listening to if listen, if you're listening to this show and you have been hurt by someone in the church, I'm not talking about a particular tradition or a particular denomination. I'm talking about the body. If you have been hurt by the church, 
by a minister, by a priest, by a layperson, whoever it may have been. Let me, on behalf of the church, say to you, I am sorry. I am sorry that you were hurt. And I am sorry that you felt the pain of that hurt. And I want to encourage you to remember in your pain that it was a human being that hurt you, not Jesus. Jesus didn't hurt you. A human being exercised their ability, their authority, or abused their authority, and they hurt you. And if no one has ever apologized to you, let me say on behalf of the Holy Catholic and Apostolic Church, the body of Jesus of Nazareth, I am sorry. I am sorry. That's something that a lot of people still haven't heard from us, people in ministry. And I want to extend that to you. Uh, there is healing. And being hurt doesn't mean that you have to throw the baby out with the bathwater. Nor does it mean that you have to throw the baby out and keep the bathwater. Mm. There is forgiveness. There is healing and open your heart to Jesus and, and he'll, he'll heal those wounds. Thanks for, for letting me say that, guys. I just, I find that so often uh, people have not heard an authority of the church apologize for yeah. what goes on in the church. Yeah, yeah that's, that's powerful, Father Chris. And, uh, you know, what, what I would like to ask you to do at this point, if you could, um, we're coming to the close of this first episode. Um, you mentioned a, a liturgy about what you just said. Is there a way, like right now in this moment, would you be able to read a portion of that for our listeners? Yeah, absolutely. Whenever we in the liturgical church, which on what you said earlier, every church is a little liturgical, even if they don't know that. A church that swears it's not liturgical will open up with the same sentences and take the offering up at the exact same time, sing the exact same number of songs, uh, give an invitation at the exact same time, do the announcements at the exact same time. Uh, so, so every church, even if they don't want to admit it, every church has it. But in the Book of Common Prayer, under the rites of healing, uh, one of the we were going to I was going to talk about this as one of my favorite parts of the Book of Common Prayer, and that is the reconciliation of penitence as people who are fallen and are subject to fall, we have, a, we have a right of healing here that's based in James chapter 5, where the Bible tells us there, James says, are, are any of you sick? And we think of that only as a physical sickness, but the actual tense of that is even beyond it. It can include mental. It can include physical, obviously. It can include emotional. You know, there's an emotional sickness. And it can also 
refer to spiritual sickness. He says, call for the elders, that word elder, the presbyters. Priest, by the way, is, a, is the, the nickname for a presbyter. It's short. My real name is Christopher, but my friends call me Chris. So in reality, I'm a presbyter, but people call me a priest because it's easier to say, oh, sure. Uh, in, in this particular book, and what I have is I have in my hands right here, guys, the 2019 Book of Common Prayer put out by the Anglican Church of North America um, a, a, as an attempt to return to a deeper orthodoxy within the liturgy itself. We have what's called a rite of healing for penitence. And any of you that are listening out there that would like to experience this, download it off the internet and, and you can read it and, and really see what that's about. But it, 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 the priest says this, the Lord be in your heart and upon your lips that you may truly and humbly confess your sins in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. And then the next part of the liturgy goes on to make a confession of wrongdoing. And anyone that's been wrong, maybe, maybe you weren't hurt by the church. Maybe you hurt somebody in the church. Maybe, maybe you uh, said something that you shouldn't have said, or you did something that you shouldn't have done. And guys, I, I won't talk about it all day, but I, I could go all day about the benefits of the right of reconciliation. And, and, and the spiritual healing that takes place there. But I would say this. I would pray this prayer. In this particular book, there is wonderful restoration. I've seen the dead raised. I really have. Uh, I won't go into that because we're running out of time, but uh, when Jesus told the apostles, Greater things will you do than what you've seen me to do. Well, he just raised the dead guy when he did that. What is greater than raising somebody from the dead? Well, in human thinking, nothing. But if you have the mind of God, what's greater than that is raising from the dead the spiritually dead to be alive and to see that. And I have seen the sick come. And I have seen those who are sick of conscience and of brokenness and have been carrying around shame and carrying around guilt and, and all of this baggage for so long, a safe place where they can come and get it all out and get it all out. And that absolution that's pronounced when we, when we pray, not only at our regular worship services, but, but also in this ministry here, uh, that absolution, hearing that, those words, we call the comfortable words, those words of Jesus reminding us from authority what he has done. Uh, the anointing services that's here, uh, you know, for instance, this prayer, and I'll pray this in, in, in my clothing. Lord Jesus Christ, heal this, your servant. Sustain with your presence. Drive away all sickness of body, mind, and spirit and give them victory, that victory of life and peace, which will enable them to serve you both now and evermore. Amen. Hmm.
Those are healing words. So from the restoration of someone who's sick in spirit because of sin to the restoration of someone who's been hurt and wounded, uh, the ministry to the sick goes on and on. And you'll find those wonderful words in, in a book of common prayer. Wow. Mm. Thank you, Father Chris. That That is powerful. And ladies and gentlemen, what's amazing about this is um, God just developed that before us. And he just showed us, demonstrated before us the importance of what we're calling the Book of Common Prayer and the, the liturgy that he just read. Um, it, it's just it, it's it's just amazing how God does that. And I think he did that for the three of us. And I think he did that for anybody who's listening. And um, I will put in the show notes um, the links of where people can find any of the information of what we're talking about here. Um, because as Father Chris mentioned, you can follow the Book of Common Prayer online. Um, it's uh, daily readings. Um, and then there's uh, specific Sunday readings. Am I right about that, Father Chris? Yeah, every, every, every weekend there, there is the church readings. There are the daily readings. We have the special day readings. Uh, hey, it's a book. There's going to be readings. <laughs> <laughs> and, I, and I would like to uh, just kind of put it out there also that, you know, some may be listening to this. And if myself, maybe 10 years ago, if I was listening to this, I may have been saying something along the lines of, uh, the, well, they're not using the Bible. They're getting away from the Bible. But remember what Father Chris said at the beginning of the episode that this is the Bible in the written in the rhythms of prayer. And that's something also, and we don't have time to get into all of this, but I'm sure the three of us could talk about this forever, because I'm pretty sure the three of us know that you have prayer and then you have prayer, right? <laughs> because you, you can, a lot of things out there are called prayer that I like, even our prayers need to be ordained by God. You know, we, we, it's, we're not just allowed to say whatever we want, you know, and just that thought. Um, and I'll leave you with this was that, uh, uh, one of my, on my bucket list, uh, once we can get Wildman and Steve enterprises and get the jet up and running, um, I want to take a trip to London because I would love to see the John Wesley house. The reason I loved, I would love to see it is because I've seen pictures of it of his kneeling bench where he would pray. And right at the top of the kneeling bench is the podium that held his Bible. He didn't separate the two. Now we have, have you guys noticed that there's kind of a separation out there of, well, we have prayer and then we have Bible study. Well, we're gonna have our Bible study, but then we're gonna have our prayer meeting. Two different things. What Father Chris already explained to us is the Book of Common Prayer brings the two together like they should be. Um, they should never have been separate. Well, I, I have to say this. Remember, too, John Wesley was and died an Anglican priest. And yes, on that prayer bench with his Bible, you would have found the Book of Common Prayer. Guarantee it. Yes. And to the very end of his death. I mean, to the very end of his life, I shouldn't say end of his, the very end of his life, he refused to leave the Anglican church. 
Methodism was started by his followers after he died. Now, that's a whole other issue we can get into later. But, hey, I want to thank both of you for this time uh, together. Um, this has been great. And, uh, I mean, we started off, think about this. You know, it's amazing what God does. We started off talking about Laverne and Shirley and Joni Loves Chachi. And... <laughs> And we ended up praying healing from the Book of Common Prayer. I mean, folks, Steve, I'm going to put you on the spot here. What other podcast are you going to be able to listen to where you can cover the gamut from the spinoffs of Happy Days all the way through to the Book of Common Prayer? Only right here, baby. Only on the Wild Man <laughs> and Steve show. I'm telling you. And you know the reason for that? It also It's such great fun. You know, the reason for that is because I think, well, at least what we try to do with our guests, whether it's a, uh, an artist that we're interviewing or we're doing a Bible study or whatever, honestly, I think we're just trying to keep it real. Yeah. And I know that becomes a throwaway phrase, oh, you know, keeping it real. But there's too much posing. There's too much, uh, uh, you know, pretend, what, what, you know, what, what's a podcast supposed to be? What's a rock star supposed to be? What's a what's a Christian supposed to be and all this kind of stuff. And you realize it's, it's about life. It's about bringing it all together. And we'll talk exactly, you know, talk rock and roll to Vernon Shirley and the apostle Paul, right? It's all in there because it's all life. Yeah. It's all life. God became flesh and entered into the very life that he had created because he loved it so much, Mm -hmm. you know? And so, so that's what it's all about. But you're right. I, you're not going to hear this on another podcast out there, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> <laughs> well, you got to be known for something, right? <laughs>
Petra concerts, Petra CDs, Petra albums. I, I would just love to have those days back. You know, you can. What? Sure. I mean, even as we speak, Girder Records is having a sale on classic remastered Petra CDs and albums. What? Yeah. Dude, I'm looking at it right now on girdermusic.com. <laughs> what? Yeah, dude. Right here, it says they're selling remastered Petra albums. Like, watches wider than? Oh. Not of this world? Oh. Never say die? Never say die. Oh, my goodness. Ah. Back to the street and on fire? Ah, you, you, you've got to be kidding. you got to be kidding me. Man, they even have John Schlitt's new band, The Union of Sinners and Saints. What, 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 what was that? Push the button. Wait, 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 wait. You, you want me to, to what? Push the buy button now. You know, I, I understand what you're saying, but... but Push the buy button now. Um, I, I'm, I'm trying... Push I'm, it now. Push the buy button now. Now. Okay, okay, okay. Wild man, just calm down a bit. Calm down. How do you expect me to calm down? How in the world do you expect me to calm down? Buy your favorite Petra albums now. Remastered, complete, with limited trading cards. Click the buy button now at girderrecords.com. Push the buy button now! The Wild Man and Steve Show is now partnering with New Release Today. Find out more about them at newreleasetoday.com. And don't forget to check out our website, where you can also leave us a review at wildmanandsteve.com. Thank you for listening, everybody, and we will see you next time.